0: Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, Inconceivable, A Study of Heaven. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. This week, we're going to begin talking about Joseph's greatest task, the elements of forgiveness. Now, this is a lesson that we all need forgiveness is a human exercise calling need and I might add command in every single life every one of us needs to forgive and every one of us needs to be forgiven because we live in a fallen wicked sinful culture and we're part of that and so Um, You know, we all need to to deal with this issue of forgiveness. Some have more difficulty due to deep wounds that have been inflicted. But we all need to learn how to deal with it. You know, I, I wonder if part of God's process of teaching us is that Joseph had such pain in his life that he needed to forgive. The pain inflicted on him was something that we can't even begin to understand. And I don't want to dwell on that. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, but we cannot even imagine a little Jewish boy growing up protected um, in a wealthy home, uh, being the favorite child, and all the things that wrapped around what a life was like in ancient Jewish culture in Israel, and then coming into a completely pagan culture not only (laughs) no longer the favorite son but a slave at the disposal of his master and did not know the language and just on and on and on all the things we can't even comprehend some of the pain and I wonder if part of the learning tool for us is to say you know we we have the tendency to say well yeah she may have suffered Madeline may have suffered that but let me tell you what I've suffered and none of us can really say that about Joseph, can we? Because he was wounded in ways that we cannot even wrap our 21st century minds around. So I think that's very interesting that God used this man who went through so much in his life. We've seen the character development of Joseph, how God honed and shaped him to become the incredible, incredible man that he became from an arrogant or at best non-discerning young man. Now, was he arrogant or was he just that dumb? (laughs) Where he'd go up to the brothers and say, hey, look at my robe. Thank you, Pam. She wanted to say this to you, but she is exemplifying the coat of many colors. (laughs) Pam, thank you. She wanted us to picture it in our brain. (laughs) I stole her thunder, didn't I, Pam? But anyway, um, from walking around saying, hey, look at me in my multicolored robe, and which means that I'm no longer a sheep shepherd out there with you guys. I'm now, you know, I'm, I'm the chief operating officer at uh, Jacob Inc. And th- those kinds of statements, was he just dumb that he didn't think through with his older siblings, where he was clearly already one of the favored, and that incident And then just all the other things, uh, you're going to be bowing down before me someday. Joseph, truth? (laughs) But wow, use your head. So at the very best, non-discerning young man, to become a man of incredible courage and sensitivity, that God uses circumstances to produce a towering oak of a man, and to realize that his covenant, God's covenant, his children... God's children, and his descendants would bless the whole world coming through the lineage of Joseph. Uh, However, there were some unresolved issues, and the end of the story that needs to be told, and that begins in Genesis 41. A on your outline, what happened? Let's turn, I think you're already there in your Bibles or on your um, uh, Bible app or whatever, Genesis 41, 52, and then 43. 2 through verse 5, verse 56. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the fa- famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt for Joseph uh, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. When Jacob learned that there was, this is uh, chapter, the next chapter, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brother went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel, the other name for Jacob, came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan as well. Number one, famine in Canaan. So just as God had uh, Joseph predict in Pharaoh's dream, not only Egypt, but the whole known world at that time was plunged into famine. When Jacob and his family learned of the grain in Egypt, they set out to buy grain. I thought it was very interesting that all ten brothers went. I mean, God needed to deal with all of them. This is a God thing. Because wouldn't you think that Jacob would have said, you know, hey, I want to send five of you down to Egypt. Get the grain for us so that we can survive. And the rest of you, you need to tend the flocks. They had sheep that needed to be dealt with. So you would think that, that Jacob would have only so sent some of the brothers, but God, this is God's story, and he wanted a restoration with every member of the family for Joseph. Wow. Little did they know what they would encounter as they found themselves, number two, standing before the Egyptian. Wow. What amazing scene, I love that picture what an amazing scene. Only the hand of God. Only the hand of God with a plan for wholeness and unity for his children. There is such an important aspect of uh, God's character to remember. Wholeness and breaking down of barriers for his people is his heartbeat. The Bible is full of admonition regarding unity. So many places, but perhaps one of the most gripping places that talks about unity among his people is John 17 the last verbal public prayer, not verbal, public prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Now, we know that he prayed out loud on the cross, but this was a public prayer. And in that prayer in John 17, three times Jesus prays for the unity of his people. Do you think it's kind of his heartbeat? Do you think it's something he cares about? I think so. I think it's near to his, his heart. If it's so important to God, we need to take it seriously ourselves, especially in the family of God. You know, we will be spending eternity with one another. And now, when we, will, when we get to eternity, we're all going to be perfect. We won't hurt each other's feelings or say ugly things because we'll be perfect. You'll be perfect. I'll be perfect. So we won't wound each other. But isn't it a good idea to begin the process here? (sighs) If I'm going to to live uh, uh, with Cindy for eternity, wouldn't it behoove me to make sure that our relationship is right and that we don't offend one another? Or what if I, you know, said that I'm going to go to Gail's porch for the first three months of, well, she'll spend... first three months with her family it's already gone on I will too but maybe a year down the road Gail I'm going to come and sit on your porch and we're going to sip tea together would that be okay and so wouldn't I want to be laying the groundwork already here to make sure that that unity that Jesus prayed so wholeheartedly for is beginning to to show its face here on earth we need to take that very very seriously where was I Okay, let's see God's hand in this particular situation. Look at Genesis 42, verse 5. Now Joseph was the governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brother came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. (laughs) Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. They said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognizes brothers, but they did not recognize him. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they still look like Canaanites. They still wore those loose-fitting robes and whatnot, or you know, the, the turbany things that they wore on their heads, or whatever. And Joseph now, as the main leader under Pharaoh in Egypt. Looked like an Egyptian. I'm sure he had those painted eyes and, you know, those headpieces and um, pleated skirts. What's with that? Um, (laughs) But his look had changed. Plus, it had been many years. Plus, they never expected it. So they did not, the verse tells us, did not recognize him. Verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are my spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Okay, your servants have never been spies, and he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, "Do this, and you will live. For I fear God, with a capital G. If you are honest men, uh, let us let one of your brothers remain confined." where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine to your households and bring your youngest brother to me. We have in another verse that he asked about the family. Uh, So that words will be verified and then you shall not die. In other words, you told me you have a younger son. If that's true, bring him. Yeah, let me see. Um, And so, and they said so. Um, And then they said to one another, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother. In truth we are guilty in that we saw the distress of his soul and he begged us, wait a minute, let me start over again here. (laughs) Verse 20, bring your youngest son to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another in Hebrew, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, talking about Joseph, in that we saw his distress of his soul, and he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there is a reckoning for his blood. Amazing. So that uh, they did not know that Joseph understood for there was an interpreter between them. Amazing. Did God orchestrate? They didn't have to have this conversation in front of them. Pro- that maybe it was a little bit rude for them to, you know, kind of conferring each other. Well, you know, ba da ba da da In Hebrew, when he, they were standing with a, an Egyptian uh, leader in Egypt with an interpreter back and forth, obviously God wanted them to him to hear what the brothers were saying. A, the hint of truth, the irony of God. Only God could orchestrate something like this. As we listen to their conversation, we begin to see a hint that perhaps there is now a change of heart. From the brothers that were so jealous, so bitter, to send him off in a slave caravan, to brothers saying, look what's happening to us. Are we being held accountable by God? It's basically what they were saying. B- Joseph's reaction. Look at Joseph's reaction, verse 24. And then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from him, them and bound him before their, their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them permission, provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded up their donkeys with their grain and departed, and one of them opened a sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place. He saw the money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they, retur- they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Wow. Wow. When they get home to Canaan and they begin to unhinge their donkeys and take out the grain and everything, they find that every single one of their bags had the money returned to them. Wow. What a situation they found themselves in. What was Joseph doing? What was Joseph doing as he put the money back in their sack? Was he having his revenge on them for all they had inflicted on them? Absolutely not. No. He was testing them. He was testing their hearts. He was saying, okay, are you still (laughs) the bitter, angry brothers that I experienced as a young man? Or have you changed? I want to see what your heart is like. Because the question to consider regarding forgiveness is, B, does forgiveness mean forgetting? No. Emphatically, no. They are entirely separate uh, considerations. We tend to lump them together, don't we? We have that saying, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. No. Forgiving is an issue between you and God. It's a mandatory exercise that God commands, and we'll look at that in just a minute. But forgive, yes, but forget, never. Never. Because we tend to learn from the pain of lessons. Now, do we want to do, do we forget our anger? Absolutely. Do we want to forget our emotions that are wrapped around an, a wounded uh, action in our lives? Absolutely. But we do not want to forget the lesson that we learn as we have been hurt by somebody else. We need to come out of the, remember this verse from last week, refi- refiner's fire as gold and silver from Malachi 3. All of us are going to have incidents in our lives that are going to test us and, and make us wonder and to pro- that we need to process. And what we want to do is not come out ashes like it says in Malachi 3, but we want to come out tested like gold and silver. We want to be grown. We want to change. We want to be better women because we have not forgotten a painful incident in the in our lives. Part of these lessons are that in some instances, restoration is not possible. In some instances, restoration is not possible. Again, humanly speaking, sometimes we think, okay, I've forgiven that person, so I'm going to ask her out to lunch, and I should get lunch with her every single day for the rest of my life. Wrong. Maybe the person is not good for you. Maybe it causes further woundedness. Maybe, yes, forgiveness is between God and me, but to restore and to have, you know, rebuild the relationship, not necessarily is it ever going to happen in our lives. Just because we forgive a wrong that was done doesn't necessarily mean it is a safe thing to restore the relationship. We have to evaluate and pray and ask the Lord to reveal to us if it is safe and advisable for our health and well-being, spiritually speaking, and in every way, to restore relationship with those we have forgiven. That is exactly what Joseph was doing. He was testing the water. He was, he was saying, God, show me by what I see here. Is restoration possible? Can I move my family here to Egypt? Will it work out okay? Or are they going to continue in their anger and bitterness to infect eff- pain on the people around them? He was evaluating, praying, asking God. I remember uh, soon after I was married, I had a, a girlfriend that was a fellow teacher with me. And um, Bob said to me one day, he said, you know what, You, um, this is not really healthy, this friendship is not really healthy for you, babe. And I'm like, well, yeah, really? And he goes, every time you come back after being with her, you, uh, you're wounded and, and down. And I said, well, no, but she, she's just trying to help me be a better me. And he said, no, she's not. She's trying to discourage you. She's being used to bring you down, not lift you up. And so I did distance myself a little bit at that early stage of our marriage just because it made sense what he was saying. I began to think about that and thinking that, yeah, that's true. Every time I'm with her, I come back and go, oh, if I could only do things like she does. <laughs> and, and it just was crushing And I didn't realize how crushing it was until I began to evaluate that relationship. And that is what we need to do. That is what Joseph was doing. God calls us to be wise in our decisions. And sometimes as we forgive, let me say that again, as we forgive, it is wise to back away from a toxic relationship. That is exactly what Joseph was doing. He was wisely evaluating whether it was safe to reestablish relationship with his brothers, whom he had forgiven. We will see later in the story that before the brothers, long before the brothers ever came to town, the forgiveness had been taken care of. It was done. Number one, the litmus test for restoration. Joseph was testing to see if there had been a change of heart. A small a. The test goes further. The brothers return a second time, prepared by their dad to return the money and also um, bring gifts from Canaan. And because he had been, they had been asked, if you're going to come back, bring your brother, so I know that if that's true that you have a brother. They brought Benjamin as well. Genesis 43, verse 26. When Joseph came home, the brothers came to his home home. The brothers brought into the house to him the presents that they had with them and bowed down to the ground. Sound familiar? Absolutely. Then he inquired about Jacob. Verse 29. He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you've spoken to me? God be gracious to you my son verse 20 to 30 then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep when he entered his chamber and then he, and he entered his chamber and wept there then he washed his face and came out controlling himself he said serve the food then he commanded the steward of the house after dinner fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, again, second time, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And the steward did, as Joseph said. Again, Joseph continues to test their hearts. He wasn't being mean-spirited. He wasn't trying to cause problems for Benjamin. He just wanted to see, where are these men? where are their hearts? Have they changed? Have they grown? Have they listened to God a little bit more in their hearts? He wanted to test them. And then Joseph sends the steward after them. Now, verse 9, whichever of your servants is found with it, talking about his silver cup, shall die. And we also will be my, fa- my Lord's servants, and he said, "Let it be as you say. He who is found with it, the, the cup, should be um, should be my uh, found. Shall it be my servant? Whew, I'll get this out yet. Don't worry, I'm okay." And the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. They went back. He was still testing their hearts. He wants to know if he can restore the relationship. Be on your outline, the evidence of a change of heart. Look with me to Genesis 44, verses 18 through 34. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh my Lord, please let your servants speak a word in my Lord's ear. Do not let your anger burn against your servant, for we are like you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And you said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a younger brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, talking about Joseph, and he alone is left of my mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father shall die. As soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die and your servants, talking about the brothers, will bring down the gray hairs of your servant our father with sorrow to Sheol. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my my father if the boy is not with me? I fear, I see the evil that it would bring my father. Wow. Change of heart? He finds out with that conversation, that their hearts are different. Notice that it's Judah who speaks. Judah is the one in Genesis 37 that suggested selling Joseph. He's the one that is saying, oh, please take me. Do not take my younger brother. It's going to kill my dad. Please don't do it. Don't do it. Let me stay. Let me pay the consequences instead of my." Instead of my younger brother, what an amazing moment! In the years that God was weaving the tapestry of Joseph's life, He was doing the same with the brothers, weaving their lives, weaving the tapestry. Only God can weave such beautiful stories. I met a friend uh, in North Carolina. Her name was Donna. Uh, She was a sweet believer. And she told me about her her life story. I don't, have any of you seen the, the movie Notebook? No. Oh, yeah, we've all seen it a hundred times. Oh, anyway, um, her story is so similar; it, it's just unbelievable. But she, her father was very um, did not like her fiance at all, and he inter- intercepted a letter from him, and the ending result of him not getting this letter to his to Donna was that they, through a series of circumstances, they broke up, and later on, both of them separately were heartbroken, and Donna, my friend, ended up marrying another man, and, sh- and her, her uh, fiancé, Jud, ended up marrying another woman. Years later, she found out the story about her father's intervening in their relationship, and guess what she did? She forgave him. She forgave him so much that in his old age, (laughs) he she moved him in with her, and he she took care of him until he died. God's story. Listen to this. A couple of years later, she uh, after she they had he her father had had gone ahead had died. Meanwhile, both Donna, where she was living, and Jud, where he was living, lost their respective spouses. Donna had to go to a real estate conference in another state. When she got there, she just happened to run into a woman wh- whose name, whatever it was, and she said, Oh my goodness, uh, I know a, a person by that same name that lives in my city in another state. Uh, it was a man. And she goes, Well, what was his name? And she said, Judd so and so. And she goes, That's my brother. Long story short, two different states, gone through what they went through, both beautiful believers, came together and were married in their 60s. Who can write a story like that but God? Isn't that amazing? What a beautiful story. Only God. If he works miracles in our lives of others, like my friend Donna, like in Joseph and the brothers, won't he work beautiful stories in our lives as well? Yes, yes, yes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's the problem. We're not watching for it. We're too busy doing our stuff and trying to write our own scripts, and doing whatever we're doing. Wounding each other, I don't know. But what we need to be doing is always looking for God's beautiful stories unfolding in our lives and around the lives of people we love. Back to the story. C, Joseph's response spots. How does he respond? Verse 45, uh, chapter 45, verses 1 through 10. Then Joseph could not control himself uh, before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everybody go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard him and the household of Pharaoh heard him. He was crying so loud that the people down the block were saying, wow, what is that noise? You know, th- that kind of sounds like Joseph's house. Wow, what is going on? He, that was that loud that the people in the community could hear him. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Talk about an understatement. Oh, my goodness. And our younger brother stole his silver cup on top of everything else. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve life. For you, a remnant on earth, and to keep you alive for your, for your many survivors, and so it was not you that sent me here, but God. Wow. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and in the day, remember when the um, father Pharaoh died, the young, the oldest. Uh, son would be the pharaoh and he could have been 10 years old for goodness sake so clearly maybe he was a younger man became made me a father to pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of egypt hurry and go to my father and say to him thus says your son joseph god has made me lord over all of egypt come down to me and do not tarry you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. Wow. And now we see that the process is complete. What do we learn? Number two on your outline. Forgiveness, forgiving is a must, but restoration is a trust. Trust. Forgiveness is a must, restoration is a trust. A on your outline, forgiveness is a command. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And then Jesus' own words in Matthew 6.14. For it, if you forgive others your trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Uh, that sounds pretty black and white to me, does it to you? These verses don't make it sound that forgiveness is optional, I don't think. <laughs> does that mean if, if we don't forgive that God won't forgive our needs, our trespasses? That's, a quite, that's frightening when I think about all that um, you know, in my life needs to be forgiven. But I think we get a hint of what is meant by that Colossians verse. We forgive because we have been forgiven. We forgive because we've been forgiven. The proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive one another. Wow, God has forgiven me for so much. How could I possibly not forgive you? How could I possibly hold on to that? If we think that we're forgiven of God and we to forgive someone else, then we must have never been forgiven. Mm-hmm. Never forgiven. When we truly des- see how desperately we need forgiveness ourselves, how could we possibly refuse someone else? When Bob and I were first married, the first couple months of marriage, I was um, mad at him every day. <laughs> I mean... Okay, you told me you're going to be home for dinner at 5.30. 5.35, you're not here. Oh, you went to play racquetball. And you forgot to tell me or call me. And there's something every day, mad, 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 mad. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hi, perfect wife, can I have a moment with you? And I... It hit me like a ton of bricks. Wait a minute. When did you get thinking that you were perfect? How can you evaluate what kind of husband he is when you haven't evaluated what kind of wife you are? That was life-changing for me. I began, the Lord helped me to begin to focus and say, okay, how can I be a better me? How can I be a better wife? How can I serve him better? How, when, let me not keep looking that way. Let me look here. Let me look here. That's the idea here. When we see how desperately we need forgiveness ourselves, how can we possibly refuse to forgive someone else? That's a concept here. When we realize our own desperate need, how can we begrudge anyone else? This is essentially what Jesus was saying in in Matthew 6.14. That, In other words, if you, if you can't forgive people, you have to l- t- take a look inside your own life and say, well, maybe you haven't really been forgiven yet. Maybe you haven't confessed your sins in front of a perfect God. Uh, so I really, really want to make, be so aware that if I've been forgiven, yes, much, then I need to forgive much. There's a story of John Wesley, the, that great Christian leader from another time, um, a great Christian thinker, he had an encounter with General or- Olgothorpe, never say that, <laughs> you've heard of him. He was, I think, a, a great um, general in the state of Georgia or something, and it talks about his encounter with him, and the general was very known for his pride and unbending nature. He thought it was a strength. He continu- He commented to Wesley one day, one day, I never forgive. To whereupon Wesley said to him, then, sir, I hope you never sin. <laughs> Whoa. And then John Wesley died. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen to C.S. Lewis. This is in your books. No part of his teaching is clearer, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive others' sins, provided they are not too frightful, or provided that there are extreme. It, it, extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. In our own case, we accept excuses too easily. In others, we do not accept them easily enough. Isn't that true? Well, okay, you know, I know I was a little grumpy, but, you know, really? I had four hours of sleep last night. I mean, please, give me a break. And we tend to excuse ourselves of the things that we inflict on other people, and yet somebody else, we expect them to toe the mark. We expect them to be exactly the way we want them to be. Wow, how careful we need to be with that. Forgiveness is something we need to do For all, for the help of our souls, help of our families and church, and for the sake of the world, looking in (laughs) to see the legitimacy of our faith and who Jesus is. Is there somebody you are harboring unforgiveness to? Now, always there is a season that we need to work through it. We can't necessarily say, okay, I forgive her, boom, done. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes we have to forgive um, every moment of every day. Lord, give me forgiveness. Lord, give me forgiveness. And then maybe the next day we can go for an hour without forgiving. And then maybe we can, you know, it it can escalate to wow, a whole day, a whole week, a whole month, a year. Wow. You know, I haven't heard thought about that hurt for a very long time. Lord, thank you. You're helping me to forgive that person. Is it a spouse, a, a parent, an employee? Deal with it. It's about your heart. But B, restoration comes from wise discerning. Forgiveness, not a question. Restoration comes from wise discerning. And this story is our example. Restoration depends on whether it is God's plan and if it's wise to do so. See, how could Joseph do it? How could he forgive such pain? Number one, it's a choice when we realize it is something we do because God desires our welfare. And guess what? If he has forgiven us, can we not go to him and say, Lord, I cannot conjure up forgiveness on my own. I'm still wounded from this. Would you help me? Go to him. Ask him through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, dwelling within me. Give me the strength. Give me the... The, the willpower, give me the, the avenue of, of coming to forgiveness for this person. You help me with it. God wants our welfare. There's a famous John eldritch quote, and it's in your book. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and discovering the prisoner is me. Isn't that good? We think that our angry and holding on to a grudge and everything is hurting the other person. The other person might not even know. The other person might be in heaven already. Who is it hurting? Us. It's building unhealthy feelings. It is, it, it's building, it, it's enslaving. Unforgiveness is enslaving. We are chained and cannot be totally free to move into godly health and purpose. You know people like that. Bitter, bitter people. Forgiving frees us from the enslavement of never getting away from the ill done us. They might not even know. Uh, there was bob has a, a quote in his office i never knew how strong i was until i had to forgive someone who wasn't sorry and accept an apology i never received let me say that again i never knew how strong i was until i had to forgive someone who wasn't sorry and accept an apology i never received Somebody told me this morning that, um, Renee, that that quote is floating around Facebook this morning. Somebody see it? And it's a lion. I love it. Strong. Because I'm choosing to forgive somebody, whether they've asked for forgiveness or not. Whether they've asked or not is irrelevant. It's it's an exercise of my will, of God helping me to do it uh, by myself. How did Joseph do it? Number two, understanding God's sovereignty. Understanding God's sovereignty. What did, what did Joseph say? What Joseph said? Look at chapter 45, verse 5 again. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are still five years left. There will be neither plowing nor f- harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for, you, for your many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to, to Pharaoh and the Lord of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Also later on in chapter 50, verse 20, beginning of it says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Wow. Joseph clearly got it. As painful as his experiences were, God allowed them because he had purpose in them. Wow. It's in Old Testament, Romans 8, 28. For all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose, who love God and called according to his purpose. God will make all things work together for good. That's what Joseph is saying. Hey, you think you sold me into slavery. God brought me here. He had purpose. And part of that purpose was you and your well-being. Wow. That doesn't excuse what you did, but God did it. God did it. God did it. B, the names of his children. Another indicator that Joseph understood the exercise of forgiveness, we find back in Genesis 41, verses 50 and 51. This is how we know that forgiveness had already taken place before the brothers came because this was long before they arrived in Egypt asking for grain. This was before the famine set in. Verse 50, before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Joseph named the name of the firstborn Manassas. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardships and all my parents' house. God made me, in other words, forget the pain. Clearly not the incidents. <laughs> he was standing in Egypt. He knew everything that had happened to him. But he knew he was able to forget the pain. Then verse 52. In the name of the second child he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my infliction. The seven years of plenty had occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. God is the one who takes the pain away from the pain inflicted on us. God helps us to forget the pain. And it was God who blessed him and gave him the ability to be fruitful, not only materially or in power, but more importantly, emotionally and spiritually. God made him fruitful on the inside. That's what we really care about. We can put the makeup on and fix our hair and go about our business and look like everything's just fine and dandy, but what is really important to our lives is what's happening on the inside, isn't it? It's what's going on here. Are we able to cope with that pain? Are we, are, are, are we willing to give it up, give up that pain that we hold to, uh, hold on to in our in in our uh, anger. He was able to move past the sting of pain. The results of forgiveness, last point, A, God's goodness. Genesis 45, verse 25. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father. This is the brothers. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. The happy ending, when we do things God's way, God can, Isaiah 61, 3, console those who mourn in Zion to bring them beauty for ashes, the oil for joy, the, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When we allow to God to do what he's going to do in his way and in his timing, he can take our mourning and turn it to joy. He can do that. He can do that. He did it with my friend Donna and Judd in their 60s. Wow. B, God's ultimate picture, God gets this. The picture of the greatest evil in all of history was the crucifixion of God himself. And yet God made it be the greatest good of all of history, didn't he? Through that evil, we're so used to the story of the cross that I think sometimes we forget the desperate, despicable evil that happened to Jesus. Through that evil, God made his inconceivable plan of heaven available to us. Through that evil, we were able to receive eternal life, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, If we have received that forgiveness in our own lives, we need to make the decision to take our focuses off our circumstances, our heartaches, our our hurt, our woundedness, and focus on God's sovereignty, the greatness and faithfulness and the love of our Heavenly Father. Again, Isaiah 61.3 in closing, to console those who mourn in Zion... To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaven. Heavily, heaviness. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, oh, how we love to take our lives into our own hands. How we love to try and make ourselves be different and changed. We have such a propensity to want to write our own story. Help us with that. Because your story for our lives is so much better. Even the pain, even the woundedness that is inflicted on us because we live in a wicked and falling world, Lord, even that, you can work for an amazing good. And you put the story of Joseph in the Old Testament for us to learn that truth. That we can, through you, forgive. And in some cases, according to your wisdom and direction, even restore hurt and broken relationships. Give us wisdom in that, Lord. Give us, help us to be more patient when these incidents come in our lives, that we cannot understand, why would you let this happen to me, Lord? Why is this happening? What can I do about it? And when we try and take matters into our own hands, would you remind us about Joseph, inflicted, sent away, into a pagan land, into a provocative pagan land, misunderstood, uh, Punished for doing the right thing. All of the things that Joseph went through and yet his eyes were always upon you. Watching for you. Observing you. Allowing you to turn his ashes into the oil of joy. Wow. May we learn from that. May we not only learn from it in our minds but may we translate it into our hearts and may it be lived out in our actions to the people all around us. Thank you for giving us your love letter so that we can observe the things that other people before us learned. I want to be a Joseph. I want to be changed, and I want to be different. But through your power and your direction, Heavenly Father, that is my prayer. In the mighty name of Jesus, that made it all possible. Amen. Amen, amen. For previous messages, as well as other resources, you can visit sheridanhouse.org backslash wbs or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.